Welcome back to another episode of the Rankable Podcast. My name is Garrett Sussman of iPoll Rank, and I am super excited today because we are talking all about SEO content strategy, like leading and supporting an SEO team for a really high level, your money, your life website. I'm joined today by Jacob Clark. Jacob is the organic growth analyst over at NerdWallet. The dude's been in SEO for the past five years. He's worked across B2B, SaaS, home services when he's worked in agencies in the past. Um, He's currently leading content strategy or his expertise is in leading content strategies that rank for the right keywords in search results. And he's currently on the organic growth analyst at NerdWallet where he actually supports SEO strategies for the credit cards and the travel verticals. Super fascinating. Thanks for joining me today, Jacob. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Yeah, really excited to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I am super excited to dive in. You, I, I was excited to have you on here too, because if if you are not connected or following Jacob on LinkedIn, he just is putting out such great content and insights around SEO day over day. So Go and find a boat. I got to ask you first off. So you were, you were telling me this a little before. There's a story where you actually won a free Arby's for an entire year for being one of the first 50 customers at a location. What happened? That's right. So I don't know if this is still the case, but several years ago, when a new Arby's location would open or like an old one would be renovated, the first 50 customers there would get free Arby's for a year. So it was like one free meal per week for a year. And for whatever reason, I just decided to go for it. Showed up at like 5.30 or 6 a.m. that morning for an 11 o'clock open. Was, I think, customer number 11. And so it was totally worth it. Took up a whole Saturday morning. But that next year, I was able to get like 52 free Arby's meals. Dude, I respect the hustle. Did you actually like take advantage? Did you like set a note in your calendar to like go to Arby's each week? I, I did. I, I cashed in 51 out of the 52. I like went home for Christmas for a week and missed that week. But other than that, I was very diligent about getting my free meal each week. Dude, that's amazing. Are you are you like actually an Arby's fan or is it just the fact that they had that contest and you're like, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it? Mostly the latter, yeah. Certainly, like enjoy enjoy the food there and everything, but did just see the promotion and thought, you know what, I'm just gonna go for it this week. <laughs> Dude, that's hilarious. I, I I love a good fast food run as much as a, as the next person, and and Arby's is is enjoyable. But I, you know, when we're talking content, there's so much more. We're talking about the meat. We're talking about the beef. I mean, there's my segue <laughs> from from Arby's into content. Excellent segue. Yeah. Thank you. So Nerd Wallet, and just in general, your experience in content, you have worked a lot with kind of building out an SEO-driven content strategy from doing it either now or for clients in the past. What's the most important thing to get right? Yeah, I've had the chance to work with a lot of clients on their SEO content strategy in lots of industries like B2B software, home services, hospitality. And one of the things I would notice is that when we were onboarding a new client, I'd often find that clients had produced a ton of content over the past few years, but very little of it was getting really any traffic. And so I think what's important is when you're starting out these content strategies is having a really clear plan of how you plan to get this content to your audience. Now, in some cases, if you have a great social media following, that's a great way to push the content. If you have a huge email list, you can produce kind of any type of content you want and send it out directly to your audience. 
But if you don't have those kind of push channels, one of the best ways to do that is to be able to get organic traffic. And so I think first just deciding, you know, the content that we're going to be producing as part of this campaign is going to be geared toward ranking in search and getting the audience that way. And the first step there, I think, really does come down to having really good keyword research. If you're not choosing the right keywords, you know, your content can be really great, but oftentimes it's still just not able to be found in search because it's not able to rank. People aren't searching for those keywords. You know, for example, if you're like a small marketing software, if your first piece of content is targeting something like Instagram marketing, wanting to produce kind of your ultimate guide, you're probably not going to be able to compete with MailChimp, HubSpot, Hootsuite. Like you've got to start with choosing the right keywords and then you've also got to be able to execute on it. I actually, to that point, so do you think about it in the sense of going for a lower keyword difficulty topic cluster with longer tail keywords when you're first starting out? Or are you doing the Instagram marketing, but just making sure you have a bunch of supporting articles so eventually you get there? Like, Because the volume matters. Right. So I generally want to start with finding that right mix of the competition level while also having like a meaningful search volume. It does depend on like the backlink profile of your site. You know, if your client happens to have a 70 plus domain authority, great authority around a topic, you know, you can start at a much higher level. But if you're working with a pretty small site, yeah, that's where I recommend you've got to start low competition, which unfortunately often means lower search volume content. And then you can start getting some quick wins, kind of build the authority in Google's mind, and then also be able to build up to some of those more competitive topics. And I guess to that point, it's like resources matter with, you know, the depending on the size of your organization, you only have a certain amount of resources. Are you a velocity guy where it's just like create a bunch and publish a bunch? Or are you very kind of targeted in what you're putting out there and publish on like a cadence? Yeah, in most of the client relationships I've had, there's there's definitely going to be those resource constraints where, yeah, ideally we could produce 50 great pages of content per month. But in most cases, you know, two or three per week is probably a good cadence because you want to give time to produce the content and then see how it performs. There's going to be some instances where let's say you've like cast a pretty wide net in the type of content you're producing, different topics, different competition level different types of like stages in the funnel. And you might find that some of these work a lot better than others. And so from there, you want to be a bit more fluid in being able to decide like, okay, this topic or this competition level worked really well. This group here didn't. Let's double down on what's worked well. We'll move off those other ones until we might have a little bit more authority. And so I think, yeah, you want to be really deliberate early on about kind of testing what works, what doesn't and then deciding how that's going to change your plan moving forward. That makes a lot of sense to me. And it it also kind of speaks to when you are leading this content strategy, you put together your plan, you need to get alignment from your stakeholders and you need to make sure you're on the same page with the goals. How do you typically approach that? Like, how do you start that conversation and how do you set expectations going forward, you know, through your plan? Yeah, like you said, definitely important to understand who your stakeholders are in these relationships. Um, it can definitely depend on kind of the scope of work, but generally, like in the client relationships, I'd be working with someone who's like in a marketing manager position. And so they're more concerned about kind of the full funnel experience 
you might be managing their SEO, but they also might be involved on the paid email social front. And so they're primarily interested in like how SEO can contribute to the full funnel experience. But then in other cases, you'll be working directly with the content teams and the writers. And that's where you can kind of get more specific in your recommendations where you might spend a while talking about exactly what the title tag should be while with someone who's concerned more holistically about the marketing strategy. Um, you know, you might not want to focus on kind of the nitty gritty of the content brief, some of those metadata recommendations. You more so want to sell it on here's how this page and the audience that we're going to be reaching can contribute to the full funnel experience and whatever business goals you have at that time. And so you you've worked both sides on like the agency where you have like external stakeholders where that's the client versus like in-house. What are what are those differences? Like what what is the difference like working in-house on that content strategy and making like the different types of stakeholders and how's you how do you approach that? Yeah, I think one of the differences just in my experience from working in-house you definitely have a, a better view of kind of the whole the holistic marketing strategy where you're in the meetings with people who are all working for the same company. You have a really great idea of what the goals are, other initiatives that are taking place in the company and how SEO might contribute. Where in some cases, if you're working in an agency and you just have like one or two point of contacts with your client, you often have to have, you know, um, conversations about like, well, what else are you guys working on at these times? Like how might what we're doing potentially conflict with something else going on that you're not aware of? Um, so definitely easier to kind of get a holistic view of the marketing team's goals in-house. Whereas with the client side of things, I think you just have to be really proactive about making sure that that you're filled in on how your strategies might be impacting other people's work. Dude, yeah, there are obviously like advantages and disadvantages between the two. Do you, from your experience, is it easier to get your content plan like executed in-house versus an agency and like to what extent would you say that the strategy and you kind of touch on this a little bit is rigid based on your plan versus like being more fluid and experimental and doubling down on what works and and removing what doesn't yeah i think it's helpful to set the expectations so like early in the campaign for instance like in some ways, you do want to test some different SEO strategies, see what kind of content works. But it's also really helpful to get some early wins to kind of build the confidence with the client. One example is I would generally start with content refreshes where a page might be doing pretty well, like position seven through 10. But if we were to refresh it, it's able to get to number one or number two pretty quickly. And so when you pull up the landing page report in GA, and the graph is up and to the right in the course of a few weeks, that's a great way to build confidence with the client. Um, while on the other hand, like you do want to be able to find out what works and then be able to double down on that. For example, I was working with a, a client that was a hotel that was really close to a university and they kind of like branded themselves around this university. And so we wanted to produce a lot of local content that was some about the university, and then others just about the surrounding area. And we would find that, you know, the content that we produce about the university, kind of targeting people who were going to be visiting, that would just perform super well because I think our hotel's brand was so closely tied to that. While if we expanded a bit far out of that and kind of talk about more local stuff, it would do okay, but but wasn't nearly as effective. And so kind of in producing all of that content, you know, we could decide like, 
hey, we can do really well kind of writing about people who are visiting this university, what they need to know. And so we're able to kind of double down on, on what's working there. That, I mean, the production and, and the double down aspect makes a ton of sense. Obviously, with the content refreshes, there's a certain amount of risk. We think we're doing things that are going to improve. How do you approach, like you mentioned going from like seven to eight, trying to jump up to three to one, like in a place like NerdWallet, where you might be ranking already three, but the difference between three to one is like a bigger, bigger deal and will generate a ton more traffic. How do you kind of approach refreshing that type of content for what is like a bigger reward, but also kind of a bigger risk. Cause if you lose that, that, you know, three ranking that could, that could hurt. Yeah, for sure. I think it, I think it works pretty similarly, whether you're trying to go from three to one or from eight to one, the, the process there really is just seeing what the content that's outranking you is doing that you might not be doing. So in some cases, let's say, you know, open up the top three results and you notice that the top three pages all have a really great infographic or a calculator that's prominent on the page or their word count is triple yours or it could be half of what your page is. I really think kind of taking signals from what Google is already seeing as the best answer for the query is, is always a good route to go. There is always that risk of, you know, we we change something that was helping us. And so it brings us down in the rankings. But I think as long as you're really focused on, you know, what is Google currently rewarding? What does our page not have? And then trying to kind of close that gap there that that's about the safest way that you can play it. it and, and it makes sense to say because it's a lot of SEOs do kind of approach it that way of like, not that it's copycat content, but it's like there you hear complaints about people seeing the same results up and down the top 10. And then, you know, at what point is Google going to potentially reward information gain, like actually reward new content, but it feels too risky when you're going for those high search volume keywords. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think there's a tension there to where you're right. Like you don't want to play copycat to where just because the number one site's doing this, oh, we've got to do this. But I think filtering that through, you know, is this really helpful for the user? So for example, with the calculator, if you have a page where it, it really makes sense to have a calculator, you might want to frame that as like, hey, let's add this to the page because that's what users are looking for, as opposed to let's add that to the page because the top ranking results have it. Or the same thing with word counts, you know, where if they've if they've doubled your word count, it's not like, oh, we've got to add this because Google's rewarding longer content. It's like, maybe we didn't cover this content as in-depth as we should have. Let's add kind of a few more sections here. So that actually leads perfectly into my next question of getting, you know, like your calculator on the site. As an SEO, I understand, you know, the compelling argument of how, how it works in terms of search intent and what readers count. Does that work for stakeholders? Like, how do you sell content internally and actually get it on the site? Yeah, so I've found it's helpful to really just like do a screen share and show your client exactly what the competition is doing. You know, if you pull up the search results, you're in position number four, you can just open up the top three results and say like, hey, here's the content that Google's rewarding. Here's where there's some gaps of what our page has. Let's get this added here on the site. And then also wanting to tie it to business outcomes. 
So on the SEO side, you know, we're primarily concerned with increasing traffic. That's, you know, it's kind of the step one. But I think um, in terms of selling that to your client and some of the people who are, are thinking more holistically about the marketing strategy, um, really connecting it to those business outcomes. So saying like, this is a great chance to convert people who might be interested in a free demo sign up. Or we've got this really great template on the page that can be used to collect email addresses where we can then put them into our email funnel. This is an opportunity to get more affiliate clicks where we feel confident the buyer is really close to a purchase. And so I think just showing them what your competition is doing and then explaining where that gap is, tying it to business outcomes um, is a great way to sell it. I, that makes a lot of sense. And I, and we see that at IPO rank as well as like tying it to revenue works a ton. Is that the same in-house? Do you have to actually make a business argument for, you know, any sort of content SEO strategy uh, proposals? Yeah, I think that's true really in, in any setting where, um, you know, on the one hand, we do want to increase traffic. That's one of the primary SEO goals. Um, but the purpose of SEO at, at the end of the day is not just to get people on the site. It's to get them to engage with your brand. And so I think whenever you can sell things further down the funnel than just, you know, this will get somebody on the site. That's always, always helpful. And so you obviously have insights into the nature of, you know, the financial industry, working with credit cards. I mean, you do the travel, you know, vertical as well at NerdWallet. But I'm really curious from your experience, what's unique about these, your money, your life? So that could be like health or financial, in your case, financial focus SEO content strategy. Yeah, for sure. I've had the chance to to work across several clients as well that are in those YMYL spaces, like in health and wellness, legal, and then yeah, most recently working in finance. Um, and yeah, Google's definitely placing kind of some additional scrutiny on those types of sites and making sure that people are getting the best information. But I do think that even if you were to say that your site doesn't necessarily fit a traditional YMYL site, like let's say you write about camping or hiking or something like that. I think it's still a great practice to apply a lot of those principles because it is possible that Google eventually starts to apply more scrutiny to every site. And in that case, you'd be, you know, well ahead of the competition in that case. Um, but with those sites specifically in YMYL, I think first looking at it from like the whole site and then at the content level, so like at the organizational level, you definitely want to have like your contact forms, your phone numbers, emails, names of real people on there, like as part of the leadership, mentions in other places on the web. Like Google's primarily concerned with knowing that there's real people behind this organization and that people would be able to get in contact with these people, you know, if they have a, a question about the content or need something updated, um, that you aren't just a totally anonymous site who's giving information about YMYL topics. But then on the content level, um, you know, a lot of the, the typical advice would be things like making sure you have author names and any credentials there, like awards that they've won, other places they've been featured. There's a, a quote in Google's guidelines, the, um, the quality search rater guidelines, I think it's called, where it talks about wanting to update content frequently that falls within those categories. So like medical is a great example to where that's the type of content that you'd really want to make sure is updated frequently because it's possible that information from two years ago like isn't as relevant or helpful today. And so Google wants to know that this health advice isn't three or four years old. It's 
you know, as of two weeks ago, it's it's most relevant. And so I think being really clear about updating the content and letting know, letting Google know that you've updated the content. And it's funny because what I'm hearing, which resonates with so many SEOs these days, it's the hot topic, is around EEAT. So we're talking expertise, experience, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness signals. Obviously, they're not actual ranking factors, but you mentioned the quality rater guidelines and how they're used to assess websites. Knowing that that's so important, whether it's your money, your life, or even obviously with all the review systems updates for e-commerce and whatnot, how do you make sure that's baked into your content strategy? Yeah, I think what's been really helpful is when I was working with writers who are going to be kind of producing the content based off the content briefs that we've created, is really being mindful that they're including information that isn't found on other pages. I think you used the term information gain earlier, which is which is related to that idea. Um, and I think the reason that's so important for um, EEAT is that if someone is like a true expert on a topic they shouldn't just have to rehash what's already ranking. So for example, if you're writing a page on like social media marketing for restaurants, um, somebody such as myself who has no experience in doing that, you know, I could open up the top three pages, compile all the tips, kind of rephrase some things and, you know, get a 1000 or so word article that's that's really just rehashing what's already out there. But somebody who's a real expert on social media marketing for restaurants, um, they can just kind of do that off the top of their head. They don't have to open up the results at all. They could just produce a great piece of content that includes real examples of campaigns they've done, what works, what doesn't. And so any of those like stories or information that you could add that isn't on those other three pages, I think is a good way to show that Google, a good way to show Google that you're not just rehashing what's out there you're actually an expert on this topic who can produce kind of like brand new information there. And so along those lines, that can be like sharing personalized experiences. If you aren't the expert, you can share quotes from experts. I think things like including unique images that aren't found elsewhere on Google is good proof that you like have the product or have visited the place. And so any of those signals I think are are good ways to show that you're truly an expert on the topic. What role, this gets a little technical, but I'm curious your perspective on what role uh, structured data plays in terms of EEAT and like, do you need, so for those who aren't familiar, structured data is a way for you to communicate information in JSON or, you know, RFID to actually get the, um, for Google to understand it more effectively. Do you think it matters, especially for like a year, money, your life cycle? Yeah, I think the more information that you can give Google about your organization and the content, the better. And structured data is a really great way to do that. Um, so you'll see in the YMYL space, like a lot of health sites, you'll see things where they have like the author, then they're reviewed by, they'll list a whole bunch of sources. I, uh, I saw a page the other day on a health website that had um, 44 sources that it cited at the bottom of the page. And then I checked out the schema and it has, you know, here's the author, here's a link to their author page. It was edited by, it's linked to this page. And then had the 44 citations in the schema all the way down. And so that's an example where, you know, this site was, was doing really well in search results. It was, it was doing a lot right. And yeah, they were just throwing, you know, so much structured data in there that was telling Google exactly who the people, the organization, 
where they got their sources from. Um, so I thought that was a really great example of, of using structured data in that context. What do you think the kind of future of EAT structured data, almost semantic information, because as you mentioned, like all the citations in the schema is like Google moving more towards this like entity SEO understanding of websites, like, and especially like your money, your life and the authority there. What do you think it's going to look like going forward? Yeah, it is. It is tough. I think with structured data now, it's like, a great way to be really clear with Google exactly what the content is about, what type of website you are. But yeah, is it possible where that becomes less important to like explicitly note later that Google's just going to have a really great understanding of all that and it doesn't require that additional help? Um, I could be totally off on that, but it's it's possible that you might not need as extensive of schema later on if Google doesn't necessarily need the extra help in figuring out all that information. So to that point, I guess, would you say, and not to put words in your mouth, do you think the role of SEOs, especially in the context of content, is like going to be evolving um, as Google may or may not need us to provide this information for them? Yeah, I don't I don't exactly know if they will evolve. Like definitely still a, a huge need for strong SEO on these pages and to give off those signals. I mean, I think if we look back to like the types of pages and content that would rank many years ago versus today, like it requires a lot more diligence on the SEO front to really make sure that you're able to show that authority on the page. And so hard to know exactly what things will look like and, and what Google will be able to, to pick up on or need to kind of show more explicitly in the structured data. But yeah, definitely still a strong need for it going forward. Dude, Jacob, as as you have these conversations like with me, you're obviously building up your own expertise, experience, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. I really do appreciate all of your insights and content. Are you ready to do some rapid fire rankings? Yeah, it's been been great chatting with you here as well. And yeah, let's do it. Dude, I love these conversations. Okay, so let's put some music on and the timer on the clock, and we're gonna go. So rank your top three of something, anything that you love. All right, I'm gonna go top three Marvel movies. Number one with Spider-Man No Way Home, followed by Infinity War, and then Civil War. Those are my top three. Okay, we'll have a whole other podcast talking Marvel because I could geek out with you about that. Rank your best SEO marketing win. Yeah, so there was an instance a few years ago in which um, a competitor had a page that was earning a ton of links. It was a statistics page. And we had found that there was a particular event that was going to take place in a few months that was going to make these statistics outdated. And so what we did was as soon as the data changed, we got the most updated data, published the page really quickly. Fortunately, Google was able to pick up on that and put us above the competitor. And so as a bunch of sources came to cite this data for stories they were writing, our page was number one and earned a ton of backlinks. So it was a really great win to to not only get those backlinks, but to to get them ahead of a competitor. Dude, oh that's a that's a huge payoff when it like works like that. Okay, rank your top three SEO tools. Top three SEO tools. Uh SEMrush, spending a ton of my day in SEMrush on the screaming on the, the technical side, screaming frog. And then number three, I would just go Google search results. Like whenever you're trying to target a keyword, just 
Google the keyword and that answers a ton of your questions. Damn, respect. I respect the manual. I respect getting into the SERPs. Okay, rank your best SEO trick or tactic. SEO trick or tactic. So when you're doing keyword research, it's easy to find a keyword, look at its search volume, and then make a decision like, is this worth targeting? But what I've found really helpful is always Googling that keyword, taking the top ranking URL, and then seeing what other keywords it ranks for in the top three. That gives you a much better picture of the total search potential for that topic, as opposed to just making that decision based on one keyword. Yeah, I love that approach. And it, and it makes a lot of sense to kind of think about it that way. Um, rank what you love most about SEO. I've really been enjoying the SEO community on LinkedIn. There's just a ton of great SEOs on there who are sharing their best tips and tricks. And it's been great to, to connect with a lot of other people on there. And to that point, rank your best learning SEO resource. Best learning SEO resource. I would say YouTube has been really helpful. There's a lot of great SEOs on YouTube who are also sharing their best tips and tricks. And so, yeah, that combination of, let's say, LinkedIn and YouTube been able to learn a ton on there. And, and to that point, probably the most unfair question that I ask in this rapid fire rankings, but rank the top one to three SEOs or marketers that you most look up to, that you respect. Yeah, have have learned a ton from Matt Diggity. He's been posting content for a long time and has a great YouTube channel. Uh, recently read Product-Led SEO by Eli Schwartz. That was a, a really great read. I've been, been thinking a lot about that. And then have also learned a lot from Marie Haynes and just her work with Google algorithm updates um, and the info that she puts out. Yeah, all three of those are fantastic people. I'm, I'm loving watching Marie get geek out over AI stuff. That's been a lot of fun. So finally, Jacob, if someone wants to find you online, I know we mentioned LinkedIn, where is the best place to get in touch? Yeah, that is the best place. You can look for me on LinkedIn, often just sharing some SEO tips, things I've been thinking about. And yeah, I would love to connect on there. Awesome. So you'll have the link for uh, Jacob's LinkedIn social profile in the show notes. It's been another episode of Rank. Well, thank you so much for joining me, dude. I really appreciate this conversation. Yeah, it's been great, Garrett. Really appreciate it as well. There you go. Find Jacob on LinkedIn. Like I said, great stuff that he's putting out like on the daily with all of his insights. My name is Garrett Sussman of iPull Rank. This has been the Rankable Podcast. We will catch you next week. Peace. 